Hello, I'm Peter Ayers, and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses World with the World War II gave us writing for Godot and Oklahoma. Without the arts, we are diminished. We had the kind of creative freedom. I was, I was on television as a child, and then I had I was in Cotty's happy hour. She leaned across to me and she said, one day, you know, you'll be doing that. Mind-boggling. They were even lined with purple leather. Uh, went to the ABC and audition. I was so fit at the end of that, you could have ended me in the Melbourne Cup. I, and I still firmly believe that great work can be made in small places. If nobody's going to respect your talent, you've got to respect it. I hope I've been entertaining, that's all. Well, that's very kind of you, Peter. But you are a friend. <laughs> and as are you. Yeah, it's a date. <laughs> it's a date. Hello everyone, I'm Peter Eyes, and welcome to this joyous episode of The Stages Podcast. The Australian tenor Gregory Dempsey was born in Melbourne in 1931. He originally trained as a baritone but made his debut as Don Ottavio in Don Giovanni in 1954 with National Opera of Victoria. In 1955 he won the £1,000 Lever Award, a commercial radio award. He followed this as a grand finalist in the celebrated Mobile Quest. When the Elizabethan Theatre Trust Opera was formed in 1956, he took part in its season of four operas. The following season, he appeared in the productions of Tosca, La Boheme and The Tales of Hoffman, and in the 1958 season sang principal roles in Carmen, The Barber of Seville and Fidelio. His immense talent also transferred to the small screen, where Greg became a permanent member of the chorus for Channel 9 television singers. An extensive career saw him traverse stages around the world, from the Sydney Opera House to the houses of San Francisco, Covent Garden and the Scottish Opera. His clear, perfectly tuned tenor voice was suited to a plethora of different repertoire and styles. From Monteverdi to the most difficult contemporary compositions, Gregory Dempsey made them relevant to every audience. Greg is a charming gent. He has an engaging sense of humour and a sharp recall of the career that has brought him much joy and accolade. It was a real treat to meet Greg and record this inspirational conversation for stages. And now it's time for us to welcome our next competitor for 1956, 25-year-old tenor from Abbotsford, Victoria, Greg Dempsey. Well, Greg, this is the first chance you've ever had of hearing you, isn't it? Yes, Curtis. I've never sung in Mobile Quest before. Uh-huh. Have you, uh, you done much singing? I've never seen to stop. <laughs> even at work? Oh, I manage a few bars, even then. <laughs> Can't stop you. What is your work, incidentally, Greg? I'm a driver. Driver? Mobile gas user, of course. Never use anything else. Good lad. Well, now for your song. Contestant number 15 in Mobile Quest, Greg Dempsey, sings Lolita. <laughs> Oh, 
it's not a tape machine. No, no, no. No, it's digital. Ah. Right. But you, you bought a tape machine once, didn't you? Yes, yes, I did. Why did you buy it? I, I, when they first coming out? It was when they first came in. I think I was about 23 or 24 and uh, people were saying to me, why don't you get a tape recorder? You can hear yourself and all that. And So I got the tape recorder and I was... At that age, I sang a, quite a few things and uh, thought, well, possibility I might just be the next Caruso. <laughs> I bought the tape recorder. I was quite convinced, and but I will not... I know I wasn't the next Caruso. <laughs> and it's been confirmed right through the years with many critics. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you listen to critics? Uh, well... I suppose in the end, you, re- you only remember the bad notices. Don't you? Yeah, yeah you that's do, true. You do, I think most people do. And, and within your own circle, I guess you have your own people, your, your teachers, your colleagues, who oh. you listen to and trust. Yeah, your mother's your, your best one. <laughs> they always say, you're great. I've never had a bad notice from my mum. <laughs> Go straight to Or my mom. dad. <laughs> my <laughs> wife was, oh, well, yes, that was pretty good tonight, <laughs> you know. I said, only pretty good. Well, yes. Well, I suppose if anyone, yes, it's the wife who can be direct and honest. Yes, she was good. Excellent. Oh, good. Well, Greg Dempsey, you've had a phenomenal career in opera, singing all around the world. You're now 88. Do you still manage to have a sing? 89. 89. I've had a birthday since you was last told. Since we last talked. Well, happy birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Do you still manage to have a sing around the house or in the shower? I, I, I... because of my hearing, uh, I don't know what uh, uh, whether that affects it, but uh, I just uh, no, I don't. Right. But if do you when, miss it? Hmm? Do you miss it? Uh, I don't miss the anxiety that it, as the older I got, it started to cause me. As you you know, as your voice starts to lose its uh, you know punch and all that stuff. It, you, uh, it's not as reliable, perhaps. No, yeah. indeed. Yeah. You, when you, I always had uh, a good ear for pitch, and when I could hear myself not in quite in tune, uh, that used to really worry me. Yeah. So, and I think all those things contribute to you saying, oh, well, I can't do it. You're better off if you don't have a good ear or you don't, you could just sing on oblivious. I've got friends that are 90 that are still singing. I won't make any comment. <laughs> so when did you decide to step away from professional singing? Uh, it was amazing. I was singing uh, My Fair Lady. I was singing a, a role called Jamie. And it was oh, all... which is one of Doolittle's sidekicks. Yes, yeah. and was singing with a, a little bit of luck. And it was down at Werribee. And it was a good cast. Susan Johnson was singing the... Eliza. Uh, Eliza and Anthony Warlow. Uh, I forget who else. I forget. I don't know if it was Noel Ferriard. As you do, little. Doing the uh, Alfie. Yep. And uh, it was about 108 degrees the day when we went down there and we had... Um, uh, cabins that had air conditioning and all that sort of stuff and so we do and you'd get called on stage and they had umbrellas and all it was 
oh, you know, it was so hot. And anyway, we finally started the show at about eight o'clock. It was still hot. And uh, halfway through the first act, the wind changed. And it was freezing. And I can remember Anthony Green. Uh, Anthony Green? Or? The conductor? Yes. Yeah. Was that Anthony Green? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yes. Uh, I don't know if Anthony's right. No, his name's I know Green, it's Green. Though. Yeah. <laughs> he ended up giving Susan his coat, his white jacket, because it was so cold. Yeah. And then at the next act, the wind changed again, and we got the smell from Werribee. Oh, uh, the slaughterhouse there? Or, no, or, no, the, no. Uh, what do you call it all? The sewerage. The sewerage, of sewerage farm. Yes. Yeah. And I thought, that's a good. Thing, good time to go. There's a good uh, <laughs> comment on, on it all for me. So that was the last time I thought I was about 64, I think, 65. Then. Right. My fair lady, not, not a bad score to bow a terrific. out. Yes, a, a most, uh, uh, I suppose, because of um, the text of uh, what's his name? Alan J. Lerner. Hmm? Alan J. Lerner or no, Bernard the, Shaw. First. Bernard Shaw. Yeah. It's, Bernard Shaw is just remarkable. I'd never thought about it until I was in that show and the words re- remain, all the dialogue and the words that are just yeah. wonderful. It's genius. Yeah. This is very temperamental and can be affected by air conditioning, can't it? And particular climate. A lot of people say that. I, I I had one experience in the Sydney Opera House where it was very hot, and I forget what I was singing. I can't remember. But I went in in the uh, afternoon, and uh, I used to get into the theatre pretty early if I was doing a. I think it might have been Boris Goodenough or something. And and, uh, I went to sing and I I thought, oh, God, what's wrong with my voice? And uh, another friend of mine was in it, Robert Allman, and uh, I said, gee, I said, my voice is... He said, said, oh, you've just come in from the heat. And he said, you're in... You've dropped about 25 degrees. And he said, you'll be all right in the half an hour and go and have a coffee I really panicked I yeah. could not you know, have, have control over it or no just uh, just the, your vo- the cord something had happened to the cords that were they tightened tight yeah, yeah. and uh, sure enough half an hour later I was alright but it does affect you know the heat and sudden change of temperatures 
Yeah. I guess uh, all singers are individuals and um, they know what they need and yes, what to yeah, avoid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You started your career as a baritone, I believe, and then yeah, you became well, a I, I, I say a baritone, but I think I, was, I started singing... I was singing from... I can't remember when I didn't sing. Cause probably I had my first lesson at about seven. But I... I had I went to learn the piano and the piano teacher got me singing and took me to her her uh, cousin whose name was Mavis Kruger and because uh, I was so young she didn't want to push my voice so she just kept me singing uh, songs within a range that you know so I so I suddenly was digging in and making the Dropping the larynx and ma- making those sort of sounds, yeah. and and uh, but I think I I probably was always a tenor, but I sing. I I won a couple of I won the Fuchko Scray aria singing uh, Airy Two <laughs> from the Marsh Ball. So. Yeah. How old were you? Uh, about sixteen, seventeen. Right. Yeah. So Steadfords and those sorts yeah, of competitions. Yeah, like they're, they're great for young singers. Ballarat. Aren't they? Oh, South Royal South Street. Yes. Yep. Never made the. I don't think I ever made the first cut of the area. Some area. <laughs> no, yeah. Never got there. <laughs> I think I won something up there, an art song or something. It's but, a beautiful old theatre there, isn't yes, it? Yes, wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful Great place, place to sing. Yeah. yeah. So you didn't stick with piano then, I guess. Ah, uh, no, not for long. No, no. I would. You know, it was those days. It was. Uh, you know. Uh, I suppose that was the 13, it was sort of around, um, you know, the war was still on and, uh, you know, people didn't have, we didn't have a lot of money and uh, so the piano got dropped and the singing was taken to the forefront. Was it a a musical household? Did did your mum or dad Uh, sing or play instruments? All houses in those days had the radio was always on and there was always and singers and pop singers but you know like Nelson Eddy was always singing and all these sorts of uh, you know James Melton I suppose you've never heard of these people but, Nelson Eddy absolutely but uh, James Melton was you know marvellous uh, tenor he sang uh, Traviata at the Met I think so uh, but uh, he was a very pop. They were very popular. Those sort of voices, and I suppose I mimicked those sort of things. Bit of a magpie. Yeah, very much. <laughs> a definitely magpie. Yeah. So there, there was classical music coming through the radio as well. Oh as yes, the popular stuff, yes, yeah. yes. Oh, indeed. I I can remember hearing Beethoven. I remember having quite an experience. One Saturday afternoon, it was raining, and I think it. I, I found out what it was, the music, and it was the uh, uh, the Egmont Overture. Yeah. And this suddenly, you know, I was about 14 or 15, suddenly this, this drum sound of this thing did something to me. And, but I always had a feel for music. You the, know. the right music can really hit the soul, can't oh, it? Oh, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. Do you remember the first opera you saw? Uh, 
Yes, um, I was at the Princess, no, at, the, at Her Majesty's it was, I think it was Cavan Pang, with, with, with an Italian opera company, which would have been, I would have thought, oh, in the very early 50s or late, late 40s, I can't remember. I can remember going right up to the gods to see it. I can remember the bloke, Eldro Ferracuti was there. <laughs> The bloke, he sang the Turidu and the Carnio in it. He was a great, yes, that was always, those two operas always have, make me feel like Saturday afternoon at the, uh, a serial at the picture theatres or something. It's that wonderful, you know. Well, that's the thing about music, isn't it? It can take you to a particular time and place or, or memory or event. Yes, oh, yeah. indeed, yeah. So Australia was playing host to uh, many visiting opera companies, I guess, before... Well, I think that... I'm pretty sure it was called the Italian Opera Company, and it was Williamson's. Right. I think Williamson's were behind it, and... uh, And, of course, in Melbourne, uh, Gertrude Johnson had the... Yeah, uh, well, I I sang a lot with them. I sang all my early stuff. I think the first thing I sang at the National Theatre was Donatavio... And then I think I sang an opera called Tiefland <laughs> that, that, that no one's ever heard of, sort of thing, except Brian Castle's Onions. He's, yes. He knew about He's it. He's a great historian, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, I think I sang Tamino up there, and uh, I think uh, Butterfly, I think. Teredu, I think. I can always remember Gertrude Johnson. She wanted to have the death of Teredu on stage, and she uh, she said, "You rush onto the stage, clutching yourself, and you fall." You see, she was the director. Yeah, I rushed on the stage. No, 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 that's not right. She said, "I'll show you." <laughs> she always wear these big hats with lots of feathers and pins in them. You know, those old-fashioned. And so she rushed on the stage and <laughs> fell on the floor to thunderous laughter from everyone because her hat stayed still in the same spot, you see. <laughs> looks so funny, I can always remember that. So were there lots of classical singers around at this time when, when you are beginning your career in Melbourne? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. People, uh, well... Um, uh, Glenda Raymond was was always... She was married to Hector Crawford, yes, wasn't she? Yes, yeah. she was always, you know, they were doing a series, you know, she was always singing at concerts at the... Well, there wasn't the Maya Music Bowl then, but uh, that used, used to be on the other side near a bit of a lake. I can't... I remember there was a lake there because I, I sang... Uh, my, my first opera with Hector Crawford was... Uh, a Carmen, I sang Donna Zay with uh, with um, uh, Hector conducting. conducting yeah. I'm trying to think who was in the uh, a girl called Muriel Luke, who was a beautiful uh, mezzo soprano, and Valerie Collins Varga, who I think she's still alive. She she was had a, quite a career in Germany, but she sang the Michaela in it. I think a bloke called Doug Stutchberry right. was the Escamillo. Yes. But it was, uh, it was uh, you know, that was my first uh, 
big time uh, job, I think. Here I stand, my constitution strong, my classical singer you're also singing at channel nine. Oh yes i one of the channel nine singers well what what happened I, I joined the ao or the elizabethan trust as it was in 19 excuse me 56 i'd won a a thing called australia's amateur hour that previous year which was a, a radio show or, yes yeah. it was uh, it was on australian you know went to all over australia I won the the uh, final thing, and it was a thousand pounds. It was a That's not huge. Yeah. I'll tell you, put it into context. A Holden cost eleven hundred pounds, so a thousand pounds was the price of a car. So by today's, it was probably worth today fifty or sixty thousand. Yeah, pounds. that's very. It was a lot of money. Yeah. So I then left the job. I was in and was learning, tried to learn Italian with people and all that because I knew I had this, uh, I had an audition for the Elizabethan Trust and they offered me chorus and small parts and I said thank you very much and that was started in about May so I I got, uh, I've lost the track of what I was going to say. The Channel Nine singers. Oh yes, yeah. yes. The, the um, for the first four years, I I was with the uh, AO up till I think fifty nine or sixty. That was every year, and I worked up. I started singing Monostatos and Don Curzio. I think I sang. Then I sang Giacchino in Fidelio, uh, what else did I do? Luigi, in, that was the first big thing I did with them. And I think I, uh, Donatavio, and uh, by, by the time they got to the fourth season, they put it off for a year. But they put a few singers on retainer, and I was lucky, I was on a 20 quid a week or something like that yeah. until the next season. But I I got through Ron Rosenberg, who had sang a lot of concerts, who was a pianist, and he was the, uh, run the choir at Channel 9. He said, do you want to... He said, we're starting a group of singers. Do you want to come and be in it? So I... Because I had the year off, I had that, and that's how I went into the Channel 9 singers. I was with them for about... Our best part of the year. I right. think. Yeah. What sort of repertoire would you be singing? Oh, you know, backing all sorts of Bill McCormick and uh, pop singers and, uh, you know, 
boop boop you doop you doop you know <laughs> but Ron he did a lot of um, uh, American style choral things that were were pretty good you know pretty good tight harmony where you you couldn't know no vibrato ah oh, you couldn't do that you know, ah so to, to do all the blending so that that in a way was that uh, it was advantageous to do that it got me walking around the set and trying to do things and, and television was a very new medium too, yes wasn't it? Yeah. graham kennedy had just hit the mug that, that, yes he i think it started in 56 and this was about 59 60 i think right. around that time is that where you met your wife because she was yes, a singer too that, yeah. yes that was um that was in about 66 that i'd come back uh for a, a because the theatre closed in London during July and August, so I'd try and... I was singing in Satirite. I was singing in San Francisco. I was singing The Macropolis Case with Mari Collier. And I came back via Australia, which is a long way, I suppose, so I could have uh, uh, two or three weeks in Melbourne with my folks. And I, I rang up, Channel 9 said I was back can you give me a gig you know so I I was sang a couple of solo spots there and she was in the chorus then and that's when I met Anne and uh, lots of uh, my uh, colleagues Murray Madardi and Brian Curran they were all in the chorus and they they thought that Anne and I would be a good match and they took us out to had some things set up to go out for uh, an evening. It did, it, but it, we got to know one another and then she came to England later on, got ill and had to come back to Australia. But then I came back to Australia again in 1970, I think, and um, that's when we got, got together get. and got hitched. Yeah. yeah. started singing. Uh, did you have a day job? Did you have to, to support yourself singing? Uh, yes. Yeah, I started off as, a, of, of all things, a silversmith. Oh, right. I was what called a maker-rap. I used to, uh, with guests, uh, 
you know, like a, a gas thing, flame, and you use solder, and like uh, silverware was very popular. Yeah. It's not in now, no one wants silverware. You have to polish uh, it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and used to do all soldering and all this sort of stuff. And then I, uh, I did a, uh, a quick... Um, uh, electric welding course and worked out at Sutton Tool and Gage for a, a while as a maintenance welder. Uh, but then the the fumes from the welding was really worrying my nose and throat, so I gave that away and drove a truck for three or four years around Melbourne. And uh, that was before the. 56 when I won the yes the big, big prize that's and allowed you to go and, then and went, yeah, pursue your passion yeah, 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 yeah. yeah so you're a Melbourne boy you're born in yes, Melbourne yes born yeah. in Collingwood yes right, yeah. right. Yeah. do you have a favourite uh, composer classical composer oh. I, uh, I, 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 this might be two there might be one that you like singing and there might be one that you like listening oh, to for yeah, pleasure yes yes oh, alright yes uh Bach, Bueling and Beethoven, I think I'd put it that way. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Well, you're allowed to have three. <laughs> but there's many others. I just love Tchaikovsky and I... Oh, look, I, lo- I love the French rep of Ravel and I just like all music, yes. Well, your career has encompassed uh, many different repertoire and, and styles, yeah. uh, from Monteverdi through to uh, oh. contemporary compositions. Do you have a favourite style that you like singing? Mm. I, I suppose, like everyone's career, you think you're mapping it out, but it's mapped out for you. And I would, I always, if someone said, will you do this? Oh, yes, thanks, I'll do it. <laughs> that sort of uh, thing. I was never, I never, I suppose, basically, I would have loved to have been Rodolfo and Cavaradossi. I would have loved to have been those parts. But I realised very early that I was. But I, I think the uh, the modern repertoire suited me as much as I seem to have had a bit of a flair to be able to f- get into characters, uh, anti-heroes, sort of Peter Grimes and uh, those type of pe- people, you know. And the the Yanacek operas were too were like that too with uh, uh, Macropolis Case and uh, uh, House of the Dead and uh, I did an, an opera towards the end called The Excursion to Mr Brucek and that was just phenomenal to do. It just, I think those sort of things suited me. I was not a matinee idol. Right, uh, a character man. Well, yes, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Were your folks happy about... You pursuing a career in the arts? Always one hundred percent behind me. I had tremendous help from my parents. My dad had a bit of a voice. He was uh, had an Irish tenor sort of voice. Yeah. Yes, he just wanted to, ah, you know, you know the way Irish people sing. Yeah, you know. yeah, that that soaring. Tenor. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. beautiful. Yeah. How'd you go with? Um, Learning languages, because as an opera singer, you, well, you're required to sing in I, many languages. It wasn't until later that I sang in, in languages. I Because I went 
the Australian Opera or Elizabethan Trust did everything in English, and then I got the chance. I got a. Uh, I was singing. I was singing in Brisbane. I was singing. Um, uh, what was I singing? Uh, I was singing Goro in Butterfly, and then on the uh, evening of that night, I was singing Luigi in Tabaro, and the. Norman Tucker, who was the boss of Saddler's Wells, was out here because they bought, I think they bought Merry Widow Orpheus in the Underworld from Saddler's Wells to tour here. And he was up there and he he was in the theatre and that night he'd heard me sing Goro and then he heard me sing Luigi and, and the guy singing Renuccio in Gianni Schicchi got sick and I... I was the understudy for that. So he heard me sing three things. On the one day? Yes. yes. Wow. Yeah. And um, he, uh, he he said to me, you know, are you interested in coming to England? He said, I haven't got any, any spots this year for you, but possibly next year. That was the year that he'd, he'd asked Neil Easton and Heather McMillan and... Um, I think Donald Smith was going back to. They all went back that year. And uh, sure enough, I got a telegram about six months later saying, offering me a contract to sing Yannick in Bartered Bride. In so I was the most fortunate person in the world because I'd sung for Tucker at the auditions and he couldn't remember me. Right. Uh, but when you do something special... he saw me special. on the stage. Three roles in a day. Well, yes, I think that helped. Yeah. <laughs> what an audition. Um, and as a as a young singer, you've really got to go abroad at that time, I guess, to make your, your mark. Yeah, well, everyone said you had to, so I I would never have gone, I think, on my own volition. I never had the guts to do that. I, yeah. I think the singers that do that have got tremendous uh, courage to do that. I would just got this opportunity, which I couldn't... Uh, not back there I was with a year's work in England at thirty pounds a week and sort of thing. The opportunity to travel and yes, to have an adventure. Yes, yeah. 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 And well, I started off I started off on a twenty two week tour of England. I didn't sing in London until uh sixty three. This was sixty two and uh, I had twenty two weeks to Hone Yannick. I'd never sang Yannick before, and uh, so when I sang it in London, I'd sang it uh, 22 times round, you know, all of England. So it was so, uh, tremendous. So that 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 you, first thing I did in London, while well, they weren't saying this is the new Caruso, and they said that because uh, Don Smith had sung Bartered Bride the year before me. They said, while Gregory Dempsey's not got the uh, honeyed voice of... Uh, he, he's nonetheless quite impressive in this thing. So, so I was uh, very fortunate to... Uh, the role was well and truly sung into your voice, oh, I suppose. Oh, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Which is a huge thing with anything. No one sings a, a role uh, that uh, the first night there... Inside it, you know, yeah. 
At least you do not scare off me, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> the Elizabethan Theatre Trust Opera Company, yeah, which is the uh, the ground floor yes, of yeah. uh, Opera Australia. Yeah. What was it like in those days, starting off? You you were really the vanguard oh, of singers yes. that was look. There were still people in those. There was uh, John Germain, Neil Warren Smith, um, oh, Roger Keane. There was so many people that all became. Yeah, they were like your relatives because we toured and it was the first one and we were all so eager, all in our mid-twenties to thirty maybe and wanting to really shake the world up, you know. Any any opportunity you got to uh, do anything then was uh, great. It was great that that started off. Yeah. And who was uh, the leadership at that time? Who were the directors that you were working uh, with? Stefan Haag was the uh, was the uh, director of the company, and uh, I think uh, the boss was a bloke called Robert Quentin. I think he was an Englishman, and uh, Geoffrey Chard was in that season, and uh, his wife, um, and uh, there were, uh, you know. Uh, Stanley Clarkson, uh, uh, a bloke that had been an English base, that had Kevin Miller, very good. He'd come back from England, and so had uh, who was the other one? John Cameron, who was that was a marvelous baritone. John Cameron, I mean, so underrated, you know, his wonderful voice. Yeah. And, uh, so that was uh, that. That year, and while it was all Mozart opera, it was you know wonderful to, especially I, I appreciate Mozart so much now that I didn't at that time. I wished it had been La Boheme and uh, Tosca or something. Well, but, in the following season, you're starting to do Tosca and Boheme and Tales of Hoffman and yes, building yes. up your repertoire. Yes, yes, they did later on. They did all those uh, operas. Yeah. And then uh, 58, uh, Carmen and Barbara Yeah, Sardot. I think I did Dan Cairo in that. And I did Spoletta in Tosca with John Shaw, marvellous uh, uh, Scarpia he was, you know. Yeah. And I think, I think uh, Joan Hammond, yeah. was, she was wonderful. I always remember Joan Hammond, it, I was in doing Goro in Butterfly and I can always remember Joan Hammond and Don Smith singing that duet in the end of the first act and just standing on the side of the stage I can remember with with John Germain or Neil, I can't, Neil Warren Smith and just saying Jesus isn't this bloody fantastic yeah. oh, sorry. Yeah, no that's fine you, <laughs> you can say what you want to say No, it, I, I bet it was bloody fantastic it was, yeah. it was yeah. well I'd never heard two voices as exciting as that, you know. And being able to merge, I yes, suppose, too, and yeah. sound... And she had such a wonderful voice. She was underrated, Hammond. I mean, gosh, she could sing anything. Yeah. And Don Smith, I mean, I think he... I think Don Smith had... If he had had the right person to control him and look after him, I think he would have been... For me, I'd rather hear that... His voice than Pavarotti. Yeah, Pavarotti's a fantastic singer. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but uh, Don had something in his voice that, uh, and he had an enormous range and was so rich, 
sound rich. Oh, it's a tragic, yeah. Don, that, uh, you know, he... His career didn't reach the heights well, no, that... he sang Colour at the Garden and, uh, you know, I mean, he stepped in and did two performances or something of Caliph and brought the house down with uh, all the big arias because he had that sort of... That was a real Verismo voice he had. Yeah. And uh, tragedy, tragedy. The magic that makes it work That magic I could not guess right And he seized the hand And spoke the charm He showed me, unless I learned to lay Mighty spells lay in that hand My sight, he vanished and out of the darkness magic is all blows And that so finds my work as <laughs> Who have been your singing teachers, Greg, in your uh, career? I learned with this lady, Mavis Kruger, who was tremendous help to me from when I was about, oh, I suppose, I can't remember, either 12 or 13, around that age. And then I studied with um, uh, 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 Henry Portnoy and his wife, who were in Melbourne, and they, they were teaching. He'd, they'd come out from Vienna, you know, with the... Once the Germans got into Vienna, they were Jewish, and they, of course they came via Singapore to. I think they, he was uh, was at the Singapore Conservatorium for a while, and then when the Japs came, they came to Australia. Yeah, and uh, they were. He was a wonderful pianist and coach, and she was. Uh, she'd been a quite a successful soubrette in uh, Vienna, and. She really knew about voice. Uh, she really helped people with their voice. There's a lot of untold stories there too. Oh, I guess we're aware of them too. But you know those immigrants who fled war-torn Europe, etc. Yes. Or the the dancers who stayed with Ballet Russe. Yes. Who then sort of invested in Australian arts yes, and culture yeah, and yeah. created a new yes, generation yes, of performers. It, yes, it was amazing that that period. You know. Have you taught yourself? Have you been a teacher? Yes, I have. I, uh, I think I learnt more about singing, <laughs> teaching than I ever learnt myself. And uh, yes, I taught for about um, from about eighty six till we moved here. Uh, and I, I, I haven't, I hadn't taught really since for the last ten years. But uh, no, but. That's the music studio out there, and my wife had the room up there. She was a psychologist. All oh, right, so, so her office. So yeah. she was te- doing psychology, and I was t- t- teaching people there. At the other end of the house. Yes, so, and the singers came in the back gate. <laughs> there was a back gate there, so they could come in. Different the, entrance clients for the singers. came in the front. <laughs> and there was the one funny beat. day where I was teaching a girl. 
and she was had some problems. She said, I wonder if I could see your wife, you know. And I said, yes. So she rang up and and uh, um, she had a couple of sessions with her and she'd come to me for lessons and that. And then one day she came came to the back. She said, oh, I, I can't get in the front. And I said, oh, well, that's all right. And she said, I haven't come for singing. I've come to see your wife. <laughs> <laughs> but don't, singing teachers can sometimes fill that well, role, can't they? You, I, you, you, there's was, an intimate relationship. Oh, you share a lot. Yeah. Oh, yes. The, the actual... The psychology of un- yeah. unlocking the voice. Yeah, everybody, yeah. like any... T- I'm sure any teacher of anything has that same... The, the, that rapport, you don't have it with every p- person you teach, but some people, they you can tell that you've got a, a real rapport that they, they can hone in on what you're saying yeah. and you can feel their uh, problem, yeah. you know, with whatever they're wanting to talk to you about. Yes, lots of times, uh, not much singing done, but lots of psychology. <laughs> yeah. As a singer, I imagine you need representation as well. You need an agent. Did you have an oh, agent? Oh, yes. I, uh, I had an agent. Uh, I, up till I was uh, about, I think I'd been at Sadler's Wells about, or English National Opera it was then, for about... Uh, 13 years and uh, I was I was getting lots of offers for outside work and and it was I was with an agency there called in in Penn and Williams <laughs> which is funny because it was started by a woman called Joan Ingpen and Williams was her dog oh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway I I uh, went on to a guest contract at the English National Opera and I was singing things like Cassio in Wales and Dimitri and quite a few things with Scottish Opera. I I was singing, uh, what did I sing with them there? Many things. uh, Pretty well, uh, Albert Herring, uh, Peter, uh, not Peter Quint, yeah, Peter Quint in Turn of the Screw. Right. Uh, and I sang The Trojans of All Things, Aeneas, with Dame Janet Baker uh-huh. uh, at the Edinburgh Festival. And uh, I think I was a bit overparted, but I, I think I got away with it, I think, a bit. But, <laughs> uh, and uh, I think I thanked Florestan there too with uh, Helga Dernish. And... Uh, that was an extraordinary meeting because, uh, you know, Floriston doesn't come on till the second act. And um, I, because I was standing in for a, another Australian, Ronald Dowd, who, who was sick or something, they, they said at, when I got it, I don't come in till halfway through the first act because, you, you know, it's... The first act's, I think, about an hour and so of Fidelio. So I got in there and they said, oh, we want you to meet Madame Dernesh. So yeah, I, I was in this in my rags and that as Forreston and uh, I went round to the dressing room and she said, How are you? 
<laughs> put her arms around me. She was about six foot. Really? <laughs> you know? And when I got on stage, I'd sung my stuff and we came out and we were doing the Nama Nama and Loza Freud thing, you know, the, the big duet. And she rushed at me and, and embraced me and I'm sure my feet came off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Because you're not a tall fella either, are you? Hmm? You're not a tall fella. No, no. no I, I was. I think my um, my passport said five, uh, five, eight and a half. I don't know where the half come from. <laughs> I think I must be about five five now. I, I've definitely shrunk, but right. but I I used to get on the tiptoes. You know, right. I'd learned how to. Uh, uh, Stefan Hag taught me. Says you never stay flat footed. You've got to be on the toe of one and the heel of the other, you know, and he said, you give yourself another inch and a half. He was uh, very... That's not bad advice. You no, know, it was yeah. very, very clever. Most singers do that. Uh, other than wear lifts. Right. <laughs> That's cheating. I've never done that. <laughs> Who is it that so radiant and bright That vision arising before me an angel, an angel in heaven, delight with soft words of comfort and joy to restore me. An angel, Leonora, Leonora, an angel, my wife, yes, whom God sends sweetly forever delight. I see her, I see her in heaven, delight. An angel, an angel in heavenly light. I hear her, I hear her with soft words of comfort restore me. An angel, Leonora, Leonora, an angel, my wife, yes, yes, I mentioned a hell of a lot of roles, Greg, in this conversation. How long would it pr- take you to prepare a role? Uh, well, I was a bit... I've, I've always... I'm, I'm not academic. I don't play the piano or anything. Right. I can play scales and odd chord. But uh, I always have had a, um, a... I think it's all those years of listening to radio when I was young and at work. I've always had a quick uh, memory of things. and uh, So if I had a good repetiteur that would... Uh, excuse me. Bash out the right <laughs> notes and... Hmm? Bash out the right notes for yes, you. Yes, yeah. early on, rather than... Some repetitors just play what's written and leave you for dead, but good ones that'll help you. With that sort of repetitor, I'd learn something very quick, very fast. I learned, I remember when they were in the, about the second or third season of the AO, they were doing Otello, and uh, that was with uh, 
Joan, uh, Dave, uh, Joan Hammond and um, Ron Dowd was doing the um, uh, Tello and uh, Ray McDonald, Raymond McDonald was singing um, a Casio and I was uh, uh, I was in the chorus then and um, Ron got sick as a lot of te- a lot of Italos get sick hell of a roll and um, so there was a performance on the Monday and I think I have an idea the Thursday performance was when Ron practically couldn't get through the role he sang the last act falsetto or something and they said that uh, there was a Conductor called Gail Tintner, who was a was a repetiteur then. He wasn't conducting, and uh, he said, "Oh, we've got to teach Ray McDonald Othello, and we've got to teach Greg Dempsey Casio." So, from Thursday, well Friday till uh, Monday afternoon, we were working with Gail Tintner, you know, three or four hours a day. So I learnt, I learnt Casio then. Casio's not a big role, but yeah. it was still quite a, quite a lot to learn. And yeah. Ray had learnt the... Uh, he was understudying the Otello, uh, but, I mean, he'd not sung it. And, right. uh, so we went on, and uh, but I made one blue... I didn't take the fasoletto, the handkerchief on for... Which so it's is, a crucial prop. Yes, yeah, indeed. Yeah. You know, that's what makes a tallow go fast. The, the handkerchief there. Yes, Desdemona has, he has done the wrong. epileptic fit if yeah. he's, when he says it. I come on and I... Because I, I give it to um, Desdemona. I give, give, give the thing to and I, I said to Joan Hammond... And she said, she went and she got her hands around me and made out and she, she I don't know what, she had some fabric or something and she pulled out some, and something that, and so... That was the hanky for the yeah, performance. Yeah, so, so, so I tell her when went spare and saw the handkerchief and, you know... But they're the moments that make it fun, don't they? They are. It's like singing Donna's A. Don Jose is, is awful when he goes on stage. He's got to have a sword, money, letter. There's about six props. Rose, the, and uh, I forgot the rose there. I sing it with English opera, opera and I sing, see this And the girl was a, a girl called Ann Howard. Oh, forgot the rose, how we <laughs> <laughs> If you if you place enough belief that it's there, yes, it it'll was be there. there. I could see it. <laughs> Did you? Uh, are you superstitious in the theatre? Did you have an opening night ritual? Something that you had to do every time you opened a? No, but I. The older I got, I. The earlier I got into the theatre, especially I was doing quite a lot of Wagner, and uh, I found with master singers which started, used to start at uh, 5.30, because it's such a long opera. I was, I was, Anne said, you know, why are you get all dressed up? 
I said, I'm going into the theatre. And she said, it's only 1.30. My lord, the master singer's way Cannot be found in just one day In Nirenberg, the finest master Is now a great man trip out of uh, London and to get into the theatre and, and I found that the older I got the I was worried about having Being to late, rush and fight apart and it's all stress yeah. that was the hardest thing as I got older singing was the stress so I can remember the last time I did um, those funny characters uh, Benoit and Alcindoro in uh, I hadn't done it for a couple of years and I went back and the rehearsals were a nightmare trying to think of the Italian because I'd never sung uh, they weren't German wasn't too bad I could because I'd sung the, the uh, David and Mima in, uh, in the ring and that I had Florence and I the German wasn't too bad for memory but but Italian wasn't, and I remember the rehearsals were, you know, because I was about getting around 60 then, yeah. and that was a pressure, just the stress, yeah. you know. You've had the opportunity to create new works as well, be part of new operas. Yes, You yes. played an Aboriginal character, yeah. Mundit, in... Mundit. Um, in I, Del, how Del, would Del I Del get Green? on today, blacking up? Yeah, it wouldn't be, it would be... Uh, <laughs> well, it's the same with the Otello, isn't yes. it, singers? You, yes, he you, was white. They're all white Otellos, yeah. 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 That's a strange... Cast for the voice, uh, mm-hmm. of course. Cast for the vocal quality, I yes, suppose. Yes. But uh, it's a different era now, isn't yes, it? And uh, it's, it's uh, culturally appropriate casting. Yeah, Monostatos in, is another one. I wonder what, what happens with that. Yeah. In, uh, in um, uh, Magic Flute, yeah. I haven't seen any... Uh, I, get, I used to always remember that blacking up and the face I can remember playing Monostatos in Brisbane in December and I'd blacked up and by the it was so hot and steamy you yeah. know what Brisbane's like yeah. by the by the time I'd got off 
It was all down on the shirt. Running. No, it was all had white chin and white gas. I bet you're popular with the wardrobe department. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, D- Dalgary, is it, was that a good piece? Ah, well, I don't know, really. James Pemberthy, I, I don't know. I can, I can, I can, I've got a book out there that it was taken from, Keep in My Country by that Mary Durack. Right. It's, it's got an inscription. To Gregory Dempsey, the first person to play an Aboriginal on the operatic stage. <laughs> so, um, and no, I think it. I I don't think it was ever done again. No. It was a one actor, right? And okay. it was done with uh, at the Somerville Auditorium in 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 uh, not Queensland, Western per- Australia, Perth, yes. Perth and uh, Pagliacci in the second act. Hmm? Pagliacci. Yeah, in yeah. the second half. Yeah. yeah, I sang Beppy in the second half. I used to have a lot of trouble getting all the black. Oh, up. getting cleaned up for the yeah. Yeah, act two. <laughs> yeah. And Richard Rodney Bennett's "The Mines of Sulphur." That yeah. was a, a new yes, one. Yes, that it? was a a great thing for me. It was a, it was a marvelous uh, thing to do. It was um, that was the sort of thing that I liked. That sort of. Uh, uh, murderous type persons, you know. With, uh, uh, it was a, a a character that was like, you know, I was playing a a baddie in a in a in a cowboy film, you know. Villains are the best roles, yeah. aren't they? Oh, definitely, yeah. definitely. Always had success with villains. Did you have a favourite role? One you enjoyed, <sighs> or look forward look, to returning I, to? I, I suppose just being in Master Singers. That epic storytelling. Oh, it's a yeah. wonderful, yeah. wonderful thing. Uh, far more the, for me than The Ring. Well, The Ring is fantastic, I'm not saying that. Master Singers, you know, he, he'd written three uh, of The Ring cycles before he started on uh, Master Singers, and I think he did Master Singers as a, you know, and it... As it's a comedy, I suppose, and some wonderful characters in it. Um, uh, what's his name? I keep keep saying Hanslick. The uh, Beckmesser is a wonderful character, and Sarks. Uh, all real. The music for me is uh, real, and I worked with uh, a bloke called Glenn Byam Shaw, who was an old English, English actor. Yeah. He was wonderful to uh, work with, you know. Now, Master Singers was uh, just an amazing experience. I used to stand on the stage at the start of the third act for that wonderful interlude, you know. Just, just amazing. And the bloke, a bloke called Norman Bailey sang the sarks and he was a wonderful bloke to work with. Probably not the greatest um, sarks of all time, but but he was such a warm, warm person. Perfect uh, cast for a character. Yeah, wonderful piece. You've sung all around the world, in America and Europe and yes. Australia. Yeah. Do audiences differ? Do you uh, I don't know. I, I, San Francisco was a bewildering place. I mean, it's a huge... It's three thousand people, and I thought, oh gosh, am I, can they hear me? 
fucking with they hear me and that that sort of fight you have when you get into a new venue that's uh, you know you, you've got to recalibrate your performance yeah. I suppose don't you yeah. yeah and it's strange the reverse thing is that Sadler's Wells on tour always went to Stratford upon Avon and the Stratford theatre was shocking it was dead it just did. I I don't know if it was made that way, but uh, you know you you you'd sing, ah, and it was gone. There was no reverberation. I think if singers can't hear a bit of themselves coming back, they you start to fight, and that the thing of especially it's like. I always remember doing Yennefer at Covent Garden with John Vickers, who had a, just this huge voice, the biggest voice I think I've ever been on stage with, massive sound. And uh, he'd sing, and I'd have to sing something, and I'd say, back off a bit. If I try, I wanted to go, like he, like he automatically <laughs> went, ah. And, uh, that sort of thing is... Uh, is hard that sort of uh, thing of singing, you know. If you think you're uh, uh, not being heard, is uh, is a hard thing for you to cope with, you know. And it's uh, mainly theatres. Uh, Covent Garden was lovely to sing, and indeed the uh, uh, Colosseum was marvellous. I love Sadler's Wells and. Even the English, uh, the uh, Sydney Opera House, the Opera Theatre, that's that's quite good to sing in. The concert hall's better. Just uh, giving the acoustics. That yes, the acoustics yeah. of it. It's that thing of you open your mouth and what? It's why people sing in bathrooms, isn't it? Yeah, the acoustics. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And as a singer, you're, you're singing over a forty-piece orchestra. You're unmiked, yeah. and you've got to fill that space. Oh, yes, yeah. That's what I always think about now, because towards the end of my career, I was singing uh, My Fair Lady and Countess Maritza. I sang a, quite a few... Uh, Operettas. Yes, yeah. and, uh, and you were mic'd up, and everyone's mic'd up, and, and I suppose people that go to those shows expect everything to be mic'd up, and it works. It doesn't for me, it just sounds, you know... False phony that someone walks off stage and just as loud <laughs> as when they're on stage you know that sort of thing yeah. I mean at the end of Bo and they're walking off and singing the duet with the top C you want it to sound to oh, disappear what? into the yeah, distance you don't yeah. want it to still be ah <laughs> yeah and remember not to say anything once you get into the wings and go indeed, your mind's not turned indeed, off. Indeed, yes, yes, yes. Lots of people have <laughs> got into trouble. Yeah, cursing the producer or something. Yeah. I've heard I've, there's been a couple of times I've, I wasn't involved, but I know that someone said about a certain conductor who won't who will remain nameless. Why is he doing that tonight? And this was in one of those musicals. Yeah, right. And the coach said, I can hear you! <laughs> from the, at a rehearsal watch from, from the pit, he brought out, yes, I can hear you. I've just thought of it. Andrew Green. Andrew Green, yes. Yes. 
Yeah, a lovely bloke and a lovely conductor. Right. He was a lovely conductor. What well, I did quite a few things with him. Yeah. Yes. So you had the A, right? Hmm? You had the A there. Yeah, A. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Green. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Greg, this has been an absolute delight this past hour. Um, conversing with you. It's been an hour. How about oh, that? Yeah. yeah, it's good. Yeah. good. Um, so thank you for your time and um, all the best. Was that all right? Was yep. it? I think that was brilliant. Oh. Don't you? Did you have a good time? Oh, well, I'm, I'm all right when people ask me questions. Right. I'm awful if I've got to stand up and say what I've done. Yeah. I think questions are easy. I... I did a couple of things on 3MBS with, uh, what is his name? Uh, Doug Beecroft. Right. Doug. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely bloke. And uh, he asked the, you know, questions. Well, it's good. It's good just to be prompted and reminded. And yes. then, yeah, like then you did then. We're triggers excellent. a wonderful career. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. excellent. Yeah. Good. My thanks to Maestro Brian Castle's Onion for the introduction to Gregory Dempsey and for the incredibly detailed research he provides to the Stages podcast. Brian is a great champion of our operatic heritage and Stages is thrilled to have his ongoing support of the classical episodes we feature. Thanks, Brian. You've been listening to Stages with Peter Ayers. Please take time to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And remember to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Wooshka, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast listening. Check out the Stages website too at www.stagespodcast.com.au. There you'll be able to find many conversations with creatives that have been recorded over the past three years. You've been listening to episode 194 of Stages. Thanks for joining us. I'll catch you next time. Contestant number 15 in Mobile Quest sang Lolita.